0: Quick question. Ah, there we go. There we go. How many of you can hear me now? All right. That was a Verizon commercial. Sorry about that. Okay. So, we're back on track. The series, uh, if you didn't, I I think maybe I need to go down a little bit. I don't know. What do you think? All right. How are we doing there? All right. Better. Okay. All right. Let's just uh, rewind. We'll restart, you know, for for purposes of the sermon. Just pretend the last two minutes didn't happen. All right. So we've been in this sermon series called Either Or, and the idea is, is that life, politics, religion, people, salesmen throw at us these scenarios where they say you have to choose one or the other. You either have to buy this product or you don't really care about your children and family. You either have to vote this way or you support our, uh, you know, our opponent. You have to do this thing or you have to do this thing. And, and so often in Jesus' life, he was confronted with these either or scenarios as well, and he, he constantly defied them. He constantly like just kind of broke out of that thinking, that sort of small, stale thinking, and showed people that there was a better way. But so much of our, our culture, so much of our society is just bound up in either-or thinking. And so it, it goes something like this, you know, if you have this particular political view, well, then you must support this, you know, this entire party or this entire candidate, and you must dislike the other one and all their views and everything that they stand for, and it's just not like that. Life is not like that, and life is not that simple, and it's not that concrete, and it's not that black and white, and Jesus constantly challenged that sort of either-or thinking, those false either-or scenarios. Now, we said, for those of you that are sitting here thinking like, well, there are some either-or situations, yes, we get that, but so much of life, so much of our culture, so much of our politics, tries to just position us in this situation where we don't just get to choose uh, what we want to choose. We have to pick either this or that, and we feel like we've got to choose. Heads, I win, tails, you lose. That's the way it is. Baskin-Robbins doesn't have 31 flavors. They've just got chocolate, and they've got vanilla, and you can't pick anything else. And society isn't like that. Life isn't like that. God isn't like that. Religion isn't like that. Faith isn't like that. So to start us off this morning, we're going to read two verses that will come into play later in the sermon, uh, and they're not going to seem like they have a, a lot to do with what we're going to talk about, but I promise I'll tie it together. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. I read one rabbi this week that said that was the, the most significant truth in all of Judaism, that God created man in His image. Later on in, in, the, in the Bible, God lays down these Ten Commandments, and right near the top of the list, not quite at the top, but near the top of the list in Exodus 20, verse 4, God says, "...you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below." God says, I have created an image of myself in you, and I don't need you to t- take a crack at it. Like we've, We're good. We don't need any images. And so, for a lot of Jewish society, early ancient Jewish society, there wasn't artwork hanging on their walls. There weren't sculptures in their museums because those things were, uh, were, were considered wrong. It was a violation of commandment because God had already made an image of himself through us, and we didn't need to make any images of God. That's the way it is. Don't make an image of God because we're good. We're all set. So we're talking about this either-or thinking. Last week, Jordan presented the either-or idea of justice versus injustice, talking about the woman caught in the act of adultery. Which do we choose here, justice or injustice? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Zacchaeus, where Jesus invited himself over, and people were upset. They've, you've invited yourself to the house of a sinner. You cannot be friends with sinners and be friends with God. That's just not how it works. You have to choose. Sinners or God? That's all the, the, the scenario allows. Uh, before that, we talked about the idea of who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind in John chapter 9. We've been talking about these ideas where Jesus was like, tried, they tried to force him into a certain way of thinking, and Jesus just keeps defying it. Uh, we're going to look at another one that I think we're familiar with, but maybe we don't give a lot of thought to, and that's in the book of Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 15. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. This is a familiar scenario. The Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. If you grew up on Warner Brothers cartoons, this is Wile E. Coyote. He's got another idea, and this time we're going to get him. This time, the roadrunner, there's no escape for the roadrunner. And it's the Pharisees again and again and again. We've got him this time. We're going to get him. They really didn't like him for a variety of reasons. We just don't have time to go into. But they wanted to get this guy. They wanted to get him in trouble, either with the Roman authorities, which may get him killed, or with the people, which at least would discredit him. And that was their, like, that was their number one plan. We've got we to get this guy. So here we go again. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. They went out, laid plans to trap him in his words. In verse 16, it says, they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Now, there's a lot of like history we could get into, but these were two opposing political parties. These were the Democrats and the Republicans getting together. And if the Democrats and the Republicans get together, this guy must be really bad. These are two op- opposing groups. Uh, I enjoy going to thrift stores. I think it's, you know, why not? Cheap stuff. You know, I don't have to buy it new, right? Just go to a thrift store. Some of you are like, ew, that's gross. I don't get certain things at thrift stores, but you know, generally speaking, you're fine. I saw this at a thrift store, and I did not buy it, but I want to show you a picture of what I saw. Come on, either or, right? Right? Pick a side. You cannot like the Vikings and the Packers. Like, you can't do that. That's just not okay. Those are opposing teams. Now, if the Viker, v- Vikers, Vikers, <laughs> Vikers and the Packings, I guess that's what we've got to call them now. If we're going to wear that. If, if the Vikings and the Packers got together, you'd be like, well, what's up? Whatever they're opposing must be really bad. Whatever the Herodians and the Pharisees get together to oppose must be really bad. Whatever the Democrats or the Republicans get together to oppose. And you're not just talking about Democrats and Republicans. You're talking about the most conservative of Republican, most liberal of Democrats, and they've decided that they're gonna join together to take out whatever it is, whatever the threat is. And in this case, it's these two parties and they've joined together to take out Jesus. Jesus must have been a bad guy. He must have been a dangerous guy if all the religious leaders and all the government leaders wanted to get together to take him out. I mean, what is his problem? What is going on? Matthew chapter 22, verse 16. Teacher, they said, they come up to him. They sent, Pharisees sent their disciples. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. If my kids ever came up to me and said, Oh, Father, wise and gracious one, The one who cares for all our needs and never denies his children the things that will make them happy and benefit their lives. You know, like, what's going on here? Hmm? I mean, come on. At least give them an A for effort, right? Oh, Jesus, you're so smart. You don't take sides. You always say the truth, no matter how hard it is. And we've got a little question for you. Now, the question they're about to ask is not going to seem like a big deal to us. It really isn't, but we'll try to get in the first century mindset a little bit to understand the dilemma that they were trying to force Jesus into, and and really the either-or scenario they were trying to make uh, make him pick. Verse 17, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? That doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? I suppose even in this room we would have differences of opinion on that. Is it right to pay the imperial tax? Well, who cares, right? That's a first century problem. What does it have to do with us? It's not even that big of a deal. I mean, this is Jesus. He didn't even make an income. What kind of taxes could he possibly be paying? I mean, but whatever. This was the scenario. And this was a big, fat hairy controversy in the first century. This was a big deal that people wrestled with. Do we pay this tax? We'll talk about that, what that is in a little bit, but I want to kind of like take a step back and just look at this issue just a little broadly for a second, just for a second. The whole issue of like putting Jesus in this position. We as, I, I don't know if it's just Americans or if it's just worldwide, but I know Americans, we love opinions. We love strong opinions. We love having and sharing strong opinions. If this were not true, cable news and sports uh, radio would disappear overnight. We love having and expressing and sharing and arguing strong opinions. The more extreme, the better. And that's those are the people that get put on TV, the strong opinions. Um, there are reviews for just about every type of service you can think of. I know a lot of you shop on Amazon, and one of the things that you do is you look at how many stars are some product given because you want to know what other people thought of this product, and you want to see what the five-star reviews are, and you want to see what the one-star reviews are. You don't, you're not messing around with any three-star reviews. You want the extreme opinions. You want the people that really like the product, and you want the people that really didn't like the product. That's the information that you want. I want to show you a few uh, Amazon reviews that I think... In our, our, our genius. Uh, the first one is this book, and the book is called Where is Baby's Belly Button? Where is Baby's Belly Button? <laughs> now, for those of you that need glasses <laughs> and can't read that, this, uh, the, the, it's a one-star review, and the reviewer, the title is, do not buy this book. You can see the ending right on the cover. There it is. The baby's belly button is right there. Don't buy the book. But it goes on to say, this book is completely misleading. The entire plot revolves around finding the baby's belly button. However, there is no mystery. There is no twist. It clearly shows you on the cover of the book. This is one of the worst pieces of literature I have ever read. (laughs) We like strong opinions. Now, here's here's another one. This is a five-star review for a product called The Banana Slicer. And I've, I've edited, condensed these reviews down a little bit, but this is my favorite. The Banana Slicer. The Banana Slicer. So this is a five-star review. The Banana Slicer saved my marriage. <laughs> Can you imagine? This is awesome. Um, my husband and I would constantly argue over who had to cut that day's banana slices. It's one of those chores that no one wants to do. Not only was it affecting our relationship, it was affecting the children as well as they heard us arguing in the kitchen over the banana slices. These are things that can destroy an entire relationship. Thank you, Banana Slicer. Now, there may be a little tongue-in-cheek in that as well, but we like strong opinions. This last one's very short and sweet, but it's probably my favorite. They went to the Grand Canyon, posted on Yelp, more like the Mediocre Canyon, one star. I mean, come on, people, right? the Grand Canyon. Can you imagine sitting at the precipice of the Grand Canyon and looking out over the sunrise or the sunset as it, it, just, it just unfolds God's glory and, and all of its greatness? Ah, I don't know. I'd rather be on my computer, you know. Ridiculous, but we like, we like having, we like expressing strong opinions. I want you to think about something. Think about this. Think about all the things that Jesus did not say. All the things that Jesus did not say. All the opinions that Jesus did not have or express. All the times where Jesus could have cleared up some silly controversy people were having, and Jesus chose not to. He chose to focus on things that maybe were a little bit more important than the strong, uh, 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 polarizing opinions that people have to have and express on everything around us. Did you know there's a Yelp for churches did you know that? You can go on a website and review churches. I mean, we're in trouble, right? You know, like, that's bad news. Some days it's great. Some days, you know, maybe you're having a bad morning. But Jesus didn't say everything that he thought. Evidently, and this is important, evidently Jesus didn't think he had to express an opinion on everything. They, that listen, the Herodians and the Pharisees had to try to trap Jesus because they did not know what his position on this issue was, because he hadn't tweeted about it. He hadn't posted on Facebook about it. He hadn't dominated every conversation at th- on the Thanksgiving table about it. He had opinions, I guarantee you, or thoughts or truths, that he didn't feel the need to express. Imagine that. But, what, but, but us, us, we like having, and we like expressing strong opinions. I mean, and, and evidently Jesus didn't. And unless we're smarter than him, we're like, no. Let me wade right into the middle of this controversy. I'll get neck deep in it, and then we'll have all kinds of fights and arguments and relational difficulties with everybody around us. Wait a second. What if we just stop playing that game, and we stopped having to have and express an opinion on everything? Facebook is so much fun. I I try to avoid it as much as possible, but I think one of my favorite things is is when there's some sort of national controversy taking place, and, you know, people are all, they're all up in arms, and then you'll get that person that just, they can't help themselves, and what they do is they'll get on Facebook, and they'll type this phrase to begin their post of whatever they're, I don't usually get on Facebook and say anything, but, you know what, if you ended it right there, that would be absolutely perfect, and I'm not going to say anything now either, (laughs) like, move on with your lives. We don't, The world, listen, church, this may not be fun. The world doesn't need to know what you think about everything. It doesn't. It doesn't need to know. But wait, I have thoughts. So does everybody else. Jesus didn't need to express every thought that he had. He didn't need to express every opinion, even on important controversial topics of the day, cultural topics of the day, and unless we're smarter than Jesus, how much stress and drama and frustration could we save ourselves if we just, every once in a while, just didn't say anything? But but it's about truth. Truth. Jesus was, they were asking him, what is right, Jesus? What is right? And you haven't told us what you think is right. It was about truth. Do you know what? You don't need to express an opinion about every theological idea you have either. Well, that's a weird thing to say in church, right? You don't need to have an argument about every doctrine that you hold. You don't need to. We don't have to express an opinion about everything. Marcus Aurelius, who was, uh, ironically, a Roman Caesar, he, he had, uh, but also a Stoic philosopher, he had a great quote that I thought was worthwhile. He says, you always own the option of having no opinion. What? Really? He goes on to say, there are things not asking to be judged by you. Leave them alone. We would save ourselves so many problems if we just, if we just, just that right there. If we just ended this morning, we just said right there. Now, they put Jesus in this bind. They said, hey, well, is it right to pay this imperial tax or not? What do we do? They, they asked Jesus to express his opinion, and, and like he always does, he does something much bigger and grander than that, but we're going to get into that. But I want to point out a few things about this passage that I think are probably uh, valuable. 22 verse 17, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax? Just, just a little note, and this is going to become important later because this verse has kind of been used by a lot of governments throughout history that say you need to pay the tax. Even Jesus said pay the tax. There's an imp- it's important to note that this was the imperial tax. And what this was, was a, it wasn't really a tax, it was a tribute. It was saying, hey, guys, remember when we invaded your country and took over and now you have to give us money? Wasn't that fun? That's what this tax was. It was a tribute that had to be paid to the Romans. Roman authorities by countries that had been invaded. This was not just like the standard Roman tax. It wasn't sales tax. It wasn't income tax. It was specifically if your country had been invaded by Rome, you got to pay this imperial tax to remind you that Rome was still your boss, that you belonged to Rome, that your country was not your own, that they were in charge, that they were the boss. So you can imagine how much it irked them to have to deal with this. But that's, it's not paying for roads and bridges and infrastructure, right? The Bible talks about in multiple places, Old and New Testament, like, listen, pay your taxes. This is not what this is talking about. It's not talking about just, hey, you know, 7% off of every check or whatever has to go to this. It's not talking about that at all, and it's very important to what we're going to talk about this morning. The, the, the people to whom this tax was levied were reminded constantly that they were not their own. They belonged to someone else. They belonged to Rome, that their country belonged to another country, that the person in charge of this country was not somebody that they loved or respected or cared about. Now this was a problem for two reasons. One, it was a huge slap in the face, right? I mean you can imagine this was a propaganda sort of technique to to, to pay this tax. But the other problem with it was, and maybe to a greater degree, and I don't know, I don't know any first century Hebrew people that I can ask this question to, but it seems like maybe to a greater degree, the problem with this this tribute was the way that they had to pay it. And I got this picture up here of an actual denarius that was used to pay this tribute. And on this denarius is a picture of Tiberius Caesar. He's there on the front. That's his profile on the front right there. Um, And on one side, it says, Tiberius, son of God. So it's a claim to deity, right? This is, this is deity. The, the, the human figure on this coin is deity. He's divine. He's important. And then on the back side, on the, other, the flip side over here, it literally says high priest, pontifus Maximus, high priest. Can you imagine if you're a first century devout Hebrew person and you've got to carry around a violation of the second commandment in your wallet? How much would that bother you? I mean, this is a graven image of a person uh, uh, proclaiming themselves to be God. And you've got to carry that around in your pocket. You can imagine how much that bothered them, how much they hated that. How uncomfortable would they be? And so you can understand, you can begin to understand the moral dilemma. Because this wasn't some sort of minor commandment that's tucked way back down in Exodus somewhere about mildew in pots or, or weaving two fabrics together. This is like one of the big ten. Don't have graven images of other gods. And here is a graven image that's pocket-sized, how convenient, that you can carry around of another god. You can imagine they were pretty upset about this tribute. I can kind of get into their mindset and understand why they had such a problem with it. So, here it is. Here's the controversy. Do we pay this to Caesar or not? Do we give this to Caesar or not? This is a real dilemma. They're trying to trap him, but it's a real controversy. Do we give this to Caesar or not? And literally, this is true. When Jesus was a young man in 6 AD, there was a guy by the name of Judas, completely different Judas, that was so upset about this tax that he raised up an army of 2,000 men to defy Rome from paying this tax. And, of course, Rome came in and just crushed them, crucified all those 2,000 men. And so, in one, to one regard, crucifixes were a reminder to the average Jewish person, pay your tax. Or die. Think about that. The Herodians and the Pharisees were getting together and they were literally asking Jesus to choose between death or taxes. That's literally what they were asking him to choose between. Because the penalty for not was death. Pen- penalty for not playing. So imagine this. This is the either or. Jesus has this crowd. He's probably been teaching. You know how Jesus does. He teaches all kinds of nice things. Let the little children come up to me. Love your neighbors. Love your enemies. All that, you know, you know, forgive. All that stuff. He's teaching all that stuff, right? There's a crowd around him and they're just like hanging on every word. Writing down notes like, this is so good. This is good stuff. And in come the Pharisees or the disciples of the Pharisees and the Herodians and they're like, oh hey, uh, Jesus real, real quick, got a question for you. Um, all that love stuff, that's great, that's great. But we have a What about the imperial tax? Should we should we pay that to Caesar or not? Now the crowd was in. They were in. They were like, Whoa, we wanna know? This is a controversy for all of us. So we wanna know. Nobody was like, get out of here with that dumb question. They wanna know. And so there is Jesus, middle of the crowd, everybody facing him. The, 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 the eyeballs turn back from the, the Herodians to the Pharisees to look at Jesus, like, well, what's the answer? What do we do? Do we pay this tax, this graven image, this idol? Do we give this thing to Caesar? Or do we defy that and, and stand up for the second commandment? What do we do? What do we do? This is so interesting. Verse 18, Jesus, of course, says, knowing their evil intent, you imagine this. He just says, You hypocrites. You hypocrites. Now, he's really going to get into it here in a second. because why are you trying to trap me? And again, it feels like Roadrunner, right? You know, you don't have a chance. I don't know if that's what he's saying. You don't have a chance. And he's got this answer swirling in his brain. But this is so good. Verse 22, he makes a big deal out of this. This is a little bit of showmanship, right? This is a little bit of like, hey, here's an object lesson. Matthew chapter 22, verse 19. Show me the coin. Show me the money used for paying the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Oh, it's very interesting. Somebody actually in their pocket has the graven image. Oh, interesting. Hypocrites, right? And then he asked them, verse 20, whose image is this? Whose image is on that coin? Everybody knows whose image is on the coin. Everybody knows what it says. He's he's doing this for effect, right? There's no confusion here. This isn't educational. He's doing this for effect. And they said, Caesar's, right? And they're like, that's the whole problem, Jesus, because it's Caesar's image and it's a graven image. And then he says this, and this is... When you read this at first, this is a familiar verse, and when you read it at first, you're maybe scratching your head a little bit. And then he said to them, So give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Verse 22, When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Jump back one for me if you would. Give to Caesar what is Caesar, and give God what is God's. I read that, and I am not amazed. Right? At first reading, I'm not reading that and like, Whoa, that is unbelievable teaching, Jesus, because the way I've heard it taught, the way it's been taught to me, the way I've heard it explained is like, hey, there are some things that are Caesar's, and you got to give Caesar what is Caesar's, and there are some things that are God's, and you got to give God what is God's. And generally, this is how I hear this, presented from church stages. You need to pay your taxes to the government, and you need to pay your tithe to the church. All right, that's not very amazing. And in, 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 in more so, I mean, this is problematic on so many levels. First of all, I know some of you are like, I didn't know we could get so interested in a first century controversy. But it is. It's interesting. First of all, this is not like, when you think about this, think about a, a couple of, um, of, of applications for this. If he is simply saying, pay your taxes, the crowd is not amazed. They're not like, whoa, that's really amazing teaching, Jesus. Tell us more. They're, they're upset, they're mad. They're like, what? Are you, are you on Rome's team now? What's going on here, Jesus? If that's what he's saying, if he's saying, pay your taxes. Now, Some of you are going to be like, man, I wish you'd preach the sermon back in April, because I just would have just like, I would have written, you know, Matthew 22 on my tax return and said, you figured out government. So what I'm talking about, it's not taxes, it's this tribute. Remember, it's this tribute reminding them that they were not their own. If he's simply saying, just give this to Caesar, just don't worry about it. Some things belong to Caesar, some things belong to God. Just, no, he walked right into their trap, if that's what he said. So it's clear that that's not what he's saying. And he's not saying that God and Caesar are on somehow, uh, on an even playing field somehow. He's not saying that God and Caesar are the same. You have, some things belong to Caesar, some things belong to God. That's not what he's saying at all. And if we read it that way, we're totally missing the point. That's, it just doesn't even sound like Jesus, right? It doesn't even sound like things he would say. I think it's clear that something else is up. Um, I love, I, I'm a big fan of history. When I was, when I was growing up going to school, uh, I, I math, science, no. I can't, I can't do it. I just don't get it. But history, for some reason, I get, because I think it's stories, and it's, it's people, and it's places, and, and things. And I just love reading about, like, historical facts, you know? It's just, it's amazing to me. And I know some people are like, I hate all those dates and stuff like that. I don't, history, was, history was it for me. And so there's some historical figures, especially these, 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 these not necessarily polarizing, but just, like, like historical figures that I, I particularly love. And there's a couple of them. Um, one of them is Gandhi. And, and the The reason was he took these principles that Jesus had taught and he totally overthrew the British government in India by pacifism. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Overthrew the strongest nation in the world but not really doing anything. Unbelievable. But one of the things was, people would come and they would ask him, like, you know, why are you doing this? And do you really think that going back to Indian ways for India is better? I mean, look at all this, you know, civilization and organization that, that Britain has brought. And, and one reporter went up to him one time and said, Hey, Gandhi, what do you think of Western civilization? And his response was, I think it would be a great idea. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Now some of you are like, nah, that's not very good. Another historical figure that was really good with like just the right word at the right time was a guy by the name of Winston Churchill. And he had so many different quotes uh, about his political opponents, about all kinds of things. But there's a few of my favorites. I just want to share two real quick. And uh, he was talking about a political opponent and somebody asked him to describe this person. And he said, oh, he is a very modest man with much to be modest about. Like That's good, right? That's good. That's genius. You guys are not nearly as impressed, and you guys were math and science people, obviously, the history. One other thing he said, I don't have it on there, but one other thing he said I thought was pretty good, because it took America quite a while to engage in World War II for a lot of obvious reasons, right? It's a very difficult thing, Uh, but when they finally did, he said this of the Americans. He says, America will always try to do the right thing after it has done everything else first, right? You know, like, just like, and I know, I mean, it's an insult, but at the same time, those insults, all those insults are so good, you can't even be mad at them, right? You know, they're just such good insults. You can't even be mad at the person that insulted you. And this is why I love uh, like historical insults. They were just, they nailed it. Like we don't, we just use bad words and call people mean names like that. No, man, they knew how to insult somebody. Um, and in fact, often what it was is was things that they implied but never actually said, because whatever Jesus said, even, listen, even his enemies were amazed. Even his enemies were amazed by what he said. So let's talk about this just real quick. It's the impact of what he didn't say. My, um, my brother-in-law, not the one here in the, in the room, and my sister-in-law were driving somewhere. And my sister-in-law was complaining about winter. Now, they live in a different part of the country. But she said, I just don't like winter because it makes me feel all pale and pudgy. You can relate to that, you know. No sun, maybe too much food, too much sitting around. It makes me feel all pale and pudgy. And they were driving, and there was a little pause in the car as he drove and contemplated this, and his response to her was this. You don't look pale. (laughs) He he had a very nice funeral. It was well attended. (laughs) If you say to someone, I love you, and they say, I think you're great, they're saying a lot more in that response than what is actually said, right? I think Jesus is saying a lot more in his response, give to Caesar what is Caesar, give to God what is God's, than what is said. Uh, what is, I think the logic goes something like this. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's? First of all, what kind of egomaniac would you have to be to plaster your image and quotes all over coins and spread them all over the country? I mean, if you have to have your name on everything, there is something wrong with you as a human being, right? You are. If I went out and I made T-shirts and I put my face on those T-shirts and I wrote on those T-shirts, "Hey, greatest human in the world," nobody's looking at me and saying, "No, no, no, you're not the greatest human in the world." I mean, everybody knows that either I have a mental health problem or I'm joking, right? And nobody is buying those t-shirts either, right? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. So first of all, Caesar is a bit of an egomaniac, as you would imagine one who controlled the world might be. But there would be some, you'd feel like nobody's fighting over keeping, or should be fighting over keeping those coins. Who wants those coins? Who wants an image of some other guy uh, in their pocket? Who wants that? And I think Jesus is saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Do you really want to hold on to that coin so badly that you have to carry it around your pocket and argue about whether or not you give it back to Caesar? Do you really want to argue about that? I think the logic is this, he made the coin, he stamped his image on the coin, give him the coin. I mean, what do you want to hold on to it for anyway? And I think that's what Jesus is essentially saying. Why do you want to have this? But what he says next is really powerful because he said, and give God what is God's. Remember, the coin said that this was a divine being, this was the son of God. So when Jesus distinguishes between Caesar and God, what is he saying about Caesar? He is most certainly not God. Now you imagine that would have landed with a line of applause to that audience. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. <gasps> Caesar isn't God. This little inscription, this little image, this little coin, this doesn't make him God any more than anything else would. Give Caesar what is Caesar's. Who cares? He can have his t-shirt with his own face. This is world's greatest human on it back. You don't want it, do you? Why would you want to keep that thing? But give God. What is God's? Now it gets really subversive. Because think about this. Why is the coin Caesar's? Because he made it. He stamped his image on it. Uh, Give it back to him. But give God what is God's. Well, Well, what's God's? They would have known exactly what was God's. What image? Where's God's image in the world? What has God made? What has God stamped his image on? What does God deserve back? Is it our tithe? No that's not what he's talking about. 10% isn't enough for God. Is it our, a little bit of our time on a Sunday morning? No, that's not what he's talking about. Is it maybe a prayer every night before we go to bed? No, that's not what he's talking about. The logic is give God what is God's because he made you, he stamped his image on you. Give yourself to him. And that audience Heard that, a whole sermon in one sentence, one sentence. They had tried to trap him, and not only does Jesus slap down that dumb argument, but he preaches this sermon in one sentence You, you know you were made in the image of God, give God what is God's. That's you. You don't belong to Rome by giving some dumb coin to the emperor. You belong to God because you give yourself to God. That's how you figure out to whom you belong. It's not some coin. It's not some tribute. It's not some tax. It's what you give yourself to. And boy, that begs the question for us today, doesn't it? What do we give ourselves to? Whose are we? To whom do we belong? Wow, no wonder his audience was amazed. Because that controversy, that didn't mean anything. He knocked that controversy aside and he said, what matters is what you have given yourself to. Sometimes our confusion about what is right is actually confusion about what is important. Sometimes our confusion about what is right is actually confusion about what is important. I I know every time we wound someone with our words, every time we make a choice that ends in regret, every time we choose the short term over the long term, every time we choose injustice over justice, every time we choose the things of, of here and now versus the things of eternity, we've forgotten what was important. We've forgotten to whom we belong. And this is why this is such a fundamental idea, because it impacts every single choice that we make. The Pharisees tried to trap Jesus by saying, Hey, is this right? And Jesus slapped that away by saying, Is this important? You know what's really important? Whose image you have stamped on you. So maybe a better question than us endlessly debating about what is right is asking, Well, what's really important? What's really important? Because, you know, you can be right and you can still leave a trail of relational destruction in your wake. You can be right and you can still make choices that end in regret. You can be right, quote-unquote, right. Maybe we should ask, what is important? Will this help me love people better? Will this help me love God better? Will this help me love my spouse or my children better? Because most of our small thinking, or most of the time, our small thinking happens because we just lost sight of what mattered in a given moment. That's why we engage in that small thinking, because we lost sight of what was important. God made you. God stamped his image on you. you got to give yourself to him. And that's the fundamental truth at the heart of this question about taxes and tribute and who's right and who's wrong. And God just cuts through, Jesus cuts through all that and challenges that small thinking and says, give yourselves to God. No wonder they were amazed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are grateful for being able to think through some of these, these, these strange verses sometimes that lead us in all different directions, Lord, thinking about taxes and, and whether or not we pay them. But help us underst- to, to cut through that, to see through all that, and to understand that we belong to you, that we were bought with a price, that, that you have paid the debt for our sins, and that we are not our own. And so I pray that as we make choices, we would not get caught up in the small thinking, uh, 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 the petty thinking of, is Is this right? Is this wrong? As much as we would get caught up, is this right? Is this important? Is this true? Is this eternal? And Lord, I know that you will guide us into truth. I know that you will show us what really matters. But Lord, I pray that we we will highlight what really matters to you, that we will set our hearts and minds on things above, that we will work to please you, and that we will not get caught up in small thinking. Lord, help us to know. Help us to see. Help us to understand clearly in a given situation. Help us to have wisdom about what is what matters. And not just are we technically right, but are we eternally important. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.